So we're in our, at the end of Philippians here this morning. We come to the end of uh, the book. This is our last segment. But before I, I get into that, can I just welcome our deaf community here this morning? Can we just give them a welcome? Thank you very much for joining us. It's really great. And if, um, if anybody has joined online um, recently, if, if things have not been going so well, then we welcome you uh, as well. I hope you really enjoy uh, your time with us. So this, this last uh, passage of Philippians, I'm just going to find it now. Here we are uh, in chapter 4. Now this, this book of Philippians, I always remember as the book of joy. It is full of joy. Paul is always talking about joy. He's talking about rejoicing in the Lord. And I just want to do a quick scan through uh, of these chapters, these four um, short chapters. And eight times uh, Paul talks about joy or rejoicing. In chapter 1, he says, um, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paulus has joy because of the partnership with the gospel. He goes on to say, the important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through the prayers and of God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. All the things that Paul has been through, he knows that they add up to his good. He knows that God has got something going on for him, and he rejoices in that. He says, I will continue with all of you for your progress in the faith and joy, and I'm sorry, for their joy in the faith. He's making this, this connection between joy and faith, between joy and faith. And God. He then goes on, chapter 2, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. He's talking here of being in unity, the church being in unity and having the same mindset as Christ. My joy will be complete when your mindset is like Christ, it's set on Christ. He says, uh, chapter 3, furthermore, brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. He is constantly encouraging people to rejoice in the Lord. He then go on, he says, uh, surpassing worth, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For Paul, there is nothing better. There is nothing that brings more joy than knowing Jesus Christ. This is what brings him joy. And then in chapter 4, my joy and crown. He talks about the Philippians being his joy. Why? Because they are growing in Christ. They know Christ and they are growing and they are being more sanctified. And it says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again rejoice. And then we come to our passage this morning, which I'll read to you. Now, this is Philippians 4, 10 to 23. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at least you renewed your concern for me. At last, you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. 
Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Amen. It's a good end. It's a great end to a great book, this book of Philippians. Now, I've, in true preacher style, I've got five points. Five sounds a lot, but I've, I've, I'm keeping it tight, I promise. But they're five Gs, five Gs. Okay, so think of your phone and what's coming to the southwest eventually, 5G. Five Gs, that's gratitude, gifts, giving, glorious riches of grace, and I've forgotten the last one, but it is here. Gospel greetings. So gratitude. Paul here is, appears to be, and he, and he is, thanking the Philippians for a gift that they have sent him. Paul is in chains, not necessarily in chains, but he is um, in prison. He is under house arrest in Rome as he writes this letter. Things could not really be much worse for Paul. He can't really do what he wants to do, which is to spread the gospel of Christ. Things are not great. And yet this book is full of joy. Paul is teaching us about joy in the midst of our circumstances. But here he, he is thanking them for this, this gift that they have, they have sent him, the Philippians. It's like, thanks, kind of. I do thank you, sort of. See, Paul is, is rejoicing over the gift from the Philippians. He says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord. You know, he never actually says thank you. If you look at the words before you, he never actually says thank you. He doesn't do it, but he does rejoice greatly in the Lord. These are the words he uses. I rejoice greatly in the Lord because of it, because of this gift. It's good of you to share in my troubles. He says, I am now amply supplied. And he says, what you've done is, is pleasing to God. But he never actually says, thank you. Why, why does he do that? He wants to distance himself from this gift. Paul doesn't really want to be attached to this gift, be seen in any way kind of connected with this gift. And the reasons for it are, are twofold. The first one is he doesn't want to compromise the gospel message. Paul is a gospel man. It's all about the gospel. It's all about spreading the gospel. And he will do nothing to harm it and everything to encourage it. And what happened in, in Paul's days where they, these, these charlatan philosophers that used to stand on street corners in, in nice robes and they would speak to people eloquently and they would tell them all about their learned thinking and, and speak to them about the things they needed to know and these people would pay them. They would give them money. And so these kind of itinerant philosophers would move around getting money for just speaking good things into people's lives. And Paul didn't want the same connection to be made to him, where he was around preaching the gospel, the good news of Christ, which was free. Everything about the gospel is free. You just need to receive it and pick it up. And Paul didn't want the gospel to be associated with money. I don't do this for payment. I do this because I want you to know the gospel and I want you to know Christ. Secondly, he wants to reiterate or, or state to them that he doesn't rely on such gifts. Paul's well-being, Paul's circumstances, his situation does not depend on monetary value or material 
things. What he wants to say to them is, you know what, it's lovely that you've given me this gift, but I don't need it. And it sounds ungrateful. It sounds like he doesn't really care, but he does, but in a different way. Paul receives this gift, but he gives praise to God for it. So there is, there is gratitude here, but Paul is giving gratitude to God. And he's pointing out to the Philippians, you've done a wonderful thing, but he doesn't really want to take it, receive it for himself. So we look at these, the gifts then. What are the gifts that we see here? It certainly sounds like a monetary gift, a material gift. And as, as we've said, Paul can't, says, kind of thank you, but I don't really need it. And we, we've talked about why. But there are two gifts here. There's the gift of the Philippians, and there's the gift of God. See, the Philippians' gift was monetary, a material gift, something that would be used up, something that was for the here and now. And Paul is kind of grateful for that. But he says, my real gift, the real gift that I have here, is the strength that God gives me to be content. So it's lovely that you've done this thing for me. It's lovely that you've sent this money. But the really great thing is that God gives me what I need to be content. I can't leave this place. I can't even come and see you. I can't be with you. I can't do anything. These are not the best of circumstances, but God gives me what I need to be content. What he's saying is what Nehemiah said to the Israelites back then was the joy of the Lord is my strength. It's the joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy that I receive from knowing Christ. And the gifts that he gives me, that is what gives me my strength. That is what gets me through these hard times. Now, we've got a couple of verses in this, this passage that can be contentious. They can be used uh, in different ways. So in verse 13, verse 13, it says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, some translations would say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And I think that can be quite misleading. Because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I promise you now, if I decided to climb Mount Everest tomorrow, no matter how hard I prayed, it wouldn't happen. And yet, we sometimes take this verse, I can do all things. I can set up this business. I can go for that job. I can be promoted. I can earn vast amounts of money because God gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's not like that. This is not what this verse means. And I love the NIV translation of it because it says this I can do all this through him who gives me strength but what is this well Paul has just told us in verses 11 to 13 he says this I am not saying this because I'm in need for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty I have learned the secret of being content in any and every sorry be content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. What Paul is saying is, no matter what I face, no matter what circumstances I might be in, no matter what trouble comes my way, I can face it all because of God and the strength that he gives me. It's not whatever I decide to do, God will give me strength and I can do it. But whatever things I face, good and bad, God will give me the strength to face it in need and in plenty whether you're being content in every situation whether you're fat and full or hungry or in plenty or in want God gives you the strength to get through now this this contentedness is through the good and the bad 
It's not just like suck it up, buttercup, and get on with it. God look after you. There are times in our lives where, where things are really good, when things are going really great. There's danger there too. When things are going really well, do you really need God? Do you need him? Do we get distance from God when everything in our life is going well? We need to be careful there as well. It's okay to be in plenty. It is okay. So long as you remember that God is the one that gives you the strength. That God is the provider. God is the one that has given it to you. Don't disassociate God from your well-being. He's with us in the good and the bad. I want to tell you a brief story. Kate and I were away recently uh, in America. And we had a great time. We were very blessed. Had a great time. Um, a wonderful few days. Kate went off on a retreat. Left me to three days to my own devices. And that was amazing. Um, <laughs> I love her, but I love being on my own too. It, it was great. Anyway, we're about to leave. We've been there about 10 days. We got to Tampa Airport. Um, everything went really well, apart from the fact I forgot to fill up the car with fuel. It cost me an arm and a leg. Um, but it's okay. You know, the holiday was great. We, we, we were doing okay. But we got to Tampa Airport. We sat down. Everything had gone like clockwork, apart from that. Um, and we just sat there waiting to board. And then the skies went black. And I mean black. And it was thunder and lightning and more thunder and lightning, and the airport shut. Oh. I was really, really upset. I was missing my children. I know what you're going to say, well, why go away for 10 days if you miss your kids? Well, I'll tell you now, I'm not doing it again. <laughs> I've learned my lesson. I'm not doing it again until they're older. I'm not doing it. But I was really quite tearful. Kate was kind of like, as she is, very pragmatic. Well, you know, what, what are we going to do? It's okay. We'll, we'll sort this out. I was really quite, quite teary. And you think, despite everything that had happened, out of this great, like, 10 days in the sun, out of a wonderful time, God had not stopped speaking to me the whole time. And I'll, I'll go into that another time. But we just had this great time. And suddenly, things didn't turn out the way I thought. And immediately, I started to get a bit teary and a bit upset. And, and why does this happen? And, you know, this is not okay. And, and the joy that I'd had just started to seep. Because my circumstances had changed. And rather than put my eyes on the joy that God gives me, I put my eyes on my circumstances, and that joy started to ebb away. But you know, it's interesting, because God had other plans. And this storm eventually passed, although we'd missed our flight to England, and I wasn't going to get to see my kids for another day, and I was really wounded by that. But Kay said, there's always something. There's always something that's going to come out of this. And so we got our connecting flight just three hours later, and we went to Charlotte anyway, up to Charlotte, and and there's a church there, probably most of you know, I won't, won't mention it, but Kate loves this church, and she loves the, the guy there, and she loves the worship there. And she said, oh, wouldn't it be great if we got to go there? Wouldn't it be really cool? And I thought, oh, great, go to church again on holiday. Wonderful. <laughs> if I'm being honest. And then quick as a flash, God says, really? <laughs> really? Anyway, we, we get to the hotel. Um, we get to a hotel, which it turns out there's a concert, right? There's a concert on in Charlotte. And everybody that's late is on this flight is trying to book hotel rooms. And everyone's saying, it's $1,000. It's $1,000 for a hotel room. And people were looking at staying stuck in the hotel. They're going to have to, um, in the airport, stay the night with their children, some of them, in the airport. Like, what on earth is going on? Are we going to get someone to stay tonight? And Kate turns around and says, oh, yeah, I've just found one for £79. Let's book that. So we just did it. We booked this hotel. Then the next morning, we wake up in the hotel, and we realize that actually this church she wants to go to is 11 miles down the road. So we go to this church in the morning, church on holiday. We go to church, and I'm thinking, I wonder if this pastor that, that Kate loves so much, I wonder if he's going to be here. You know, this would be amazing. I wonder if God's kind of like conspiring these things. No, he's not there. 
But I'm learning. <laughs> and rather than like, oh, well, that's great. Why have we brought us here? And he's not, he's not even speaking. We finish worshiping, and then we hear this voice. I hear this voice, and I think, I know that voice. And I look up, and this pastor, this other pastor from, from elsewhere in America that I, I really love. He's so, so biblical and so full of fun and so full of application. And he just starts speaking, and I think, I can't believe it. What a treat. This is amazing. And then he started to speak about anger. <laughs> and those of you who know me well know that it's a bubbling thing for me. Those of you that don't know me so well might be surprised that anger is a, has always been my entire life, been a bit of an issue for me. But that aside, I was sat there, Kate and I were laughing at, at the goodness of God. That even though I was crying because I couldn't see my kids, and there are other people that are affected by that storm. I'm not saying I'm the apostle Paul and God brought in the storm so they could move me somewhere else. But what, when our circumstances change, God is always in control. When our circumstances aren't that great, he's always doing something. And God spoke to me that morning. And I sat there in church again thinking, you know what, I'm not going to doubt you again. I'm just not going to doubt you again. Because my circumstances had changed. My joy began to ever away. But then I realized that you're not, if I keep my eyes on Jesus, my joy need not ever ebb away. There might be something for you this morning when Jordan shared that word. It may be that you are struggling at the moment and your circumstances are rubbish. They really not might be very great at all. But I can promise you, in the midst of it, God is there. He absolutely is there. And if you keep your eyes on him, and if you rejoice in him, even when you don't feel like it, even when you think it's the last thing on earth you want to do, like going to church on holiday, if it's the last thing you want to do, do it anyway. Praise him anyway. Rejoice in the Lord anyway. Because will it change your circumstances? No. Will it change the way you see your circumstances? Yes, it absolutely will. Will it change the way that you see God and that he will provide for you? And despite your circumstances, he will be there for you. And he will always be there for you. God always gives good gifts. We talk of gifts. We move on to, to giving. While your gift is good for me, Paul says, while your gift is good for me, this thing that you've given me is great, the credit goes to you from God. Paul says, I'm almost kind of out of this. It's not really anything to do with me. The gift is from God, and you're the ones that are the agents of that. So it's, it's to do with you. Credit goes to you from God due to your generosity. You see, giving and being generous means trusting God. To give away of what you have, to give more away than you can actually afford, means being generous, and that means trusting God. You have to trust God in our giving. Now, we can't outgive God. I don't know if you've ever tried to do that. I don't know if you've ever tried to have a bet with God and say, I'll give away this much and see if you can beat it. It, it just doesn't happen. It can't happen. Um, Kate and I, I've told this story before a while back, but um, when I was in the Navy, my job was secure. Everybody was trying to throw money at you. or borrow this, borrow that. So I did, like an idiot. And I borrowed lots of money. Um, but consequently, everyone sold me PPI at the same time. And so we filled in a request, and we said, you know, let's see what happens. Totally forgot all about it. And then one day, an envelope came through the door, and Kate remembers she was going to throw it out. Holy Spirit moment. I said, no, open this letter. Brown envelope, no, open this letter. She opened the letter, and there was a check in there for over 10,500 pounds that we were to be given. And it absolutely bowled over. But immediately, we said, we've got to tithe this back. We've got to thank God, and we're going to give this back. And we said, right, we'll give 10% back. So we put 10% back into the church. The following day, we had another envelope in the mail, came through, Kate opened it up, and it was from her fostering agency. 
with a letter that said, we're really sorry, but we've been underpaying you for the last year for this thing that you do. Um, here's a check to cover it. And it was the same amount that we'd given into the church by about 10 pounds, about 10 pounds difference. Exactly the same. Now, God isn't a cash point in the sky. You don't give money away and expect to get more back. You don't give it away and expect to get more back. But what God does do is promise to bless us. God gives us all we need, materially and supernaturally. We're going to come on to the difference in a while. But we are called to give generously. The Philippians gave generously. If you look in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, it talks about their poverty. They were really struggling. They really had it hard. And yet when Paul called them to give money to Jerusalem, they did it. And then when they were able to, again, they gave money again to Paul. They gave out of their hard times. They gave when they had not much. They were generous. They gave over and above. And Paul rejoices over the fact that the Philippians have given this gift as would be credited to their account. Paul wasn't saying, it's wonderful you've done this. Stand by, your bank account's going to fill up because God's going to bless you with loads of money. He wasn't saying that, but he's saying you have been credited with righteousness. You've been credited. You will be blessed. The word in the Greek here that Paul uses is, is karpos. And he uses it earlier in, in Philippians as well. And it talks about the fruit of righteousness on the final day. What he said is what you have done will be credited to you. And on the final day, on judgment day, this will be credited to you. God will not forget this. He has seen what you have done. When you've given out of generosity, when you've given when you didn't really have it, when you've tried to bless someone and you didn't really have it yourself, God sees, God knows, and he will bless you. Paul is highlighting how the grace of God and the power of the gospel and the Philippians' participation in it is increasing their sanctification. They've gone all in. They said, we might not have much. We might be quite poor. We haven't got a lot. But you know what? We need to do this. The gospel is important. We need, to, we need to try and help Paul in spreading the gospel. We need to try and help the church in Jerusalem because we need to see the gospel spread because this is the real value. That's what the real value is in. And so Paul rejoices because of the Philippians' sanctification. They, they get it. They're becoming more like God. They can see the greater good. They can see the benefit of the gospel to those around them. And they're willing to sacrifice what they have for the good of the gospel. And this is why Paul is rejoiced. So let's be generous in our giving. And there are many ways in which you can give. It does not have to be financially. But what are you thinking about giving to God? Glorious riches of grace. This is a hobby horse of mine, so I'll try not to stay on it for too long. But this is another verse that gets corrupted. Another verse that gets used, I believe, uh, to other ends. Verse 19 says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. That is a wonderful verse, and it is true. It is true. God will meet all our needs. I have got lots of stories where God has met my needs. We'll speak to Rachel and Hamish in a moment. Or Rachel, they have umpteen stories of where God has just met their needs. Many of us have. If you talk to people around this church, God does meet our needs according to the riches of his glory. But see, this gets used for the prosperity gospel a lot. This is where God becomes the cash machine in the sky. If I just have enough faith, if I just pray the right way, if I say the right things, then God will just give me what I want. If you look at some of the websites of these prosperity gospel preachers, the first thing you see is a rich white couple sat on a yacht in the middle of the ocean. I think God's got more for me than that. I don't know about you. That looks incredibly boring and not very fruitful. There's a lot more to be had from God than material wealth. See, God is fully able... It says in, in 
um, verse 413, um, he is fully able and fully willing to meet whatever needs surround the believer. He will meet your needs. He will meet your needs. Unfortunately, <laughs> this principle is widely misunderstood and refers primarily to physical needs. But yes, we have physical needs, but there's a lot more than that. Certainly, verse 19 allows for the possibility that God will supply our physical needs and the physical needs of his people. But this isn't the primary concern of this verse. You see, we sometimes forget that many faithful Christians have suffered deeply for the sake of the gospel. Look at the disciples. All of them, by one, killed for the gospel. They've suffered deeply for the sake of the gospel. And some have prayed as earnestly as, as Hudson Taylor, that great missionary. They pray and they pray and they pray that God might alleviate their suffering. But it's continued nevertheless. Because we live in a fallen world. And our circumstances are what they are. People like Putin do what they want. They make the world a bad place. Sometimes life is very, very hard. Just speak to anybody that's come from Ukraine. Do you think that Jesus' faith was not enough? It was said about Jesus that he didn't even have anywhere to lay his head. But according to the prosperity gospel, we have a God that supplies all our needs. And that we can live in the lap of luxury if we just do the right things. So why was the Son of God? Why did the Son of God have nowhere to lay his home? God wasn't talking primarily about physical needs. But God does promise resources to cope with hardship and not to live in luxury. He promises to get us through the hard times. You see, verse 19 about God's glorious riches must be linked with 13 and read in light of 11 and 12. What he's saying is, no matter what you face, I will be with you. No matter what you go through, I will be with you. And when you need things to get through the tough times, I will give it to you. But it won't necessarily be money. Let's face it, money makes life easy, doesn't it? Or makes it easier. Does it really make you happy? You know, someone this week just won 184 million pounds in the UK. 184 million pounds. And there was a time when I would just, my face would light up and I'd think, wow, what could I do with 184 million pounds? And God has shown me, and he's shown me my heart, I know I will never be rich. Because I know what I would do with 184 million pounds. And God knows what I would do with it, which is why I will never have it. Yet someone like Rick Warren, in America, writes a best-selling book, Purpose Driven Life, Purpose Driven Church. And he said, I'm not even a great author. Why did God choose me to write this book? And he came to the conclusion, because God knew what he would do with the money. He sold it straight back into the church. So what am I saying here? I'm not saying that money is evil. I'm not saying that money is a bad thing. If you're rich here this morning, congratulations, and I wish you every blessing. I really do. And if you're not, I wish you every blessing. And that's what God does. He pours out blessings on all of us. What he does say is it's difficult. If you've got lots of money, it can be difficult. Because as I said earlier, your self-reliance can increase. You suddenly think, oh, do I really need God? It's a danger. It's something to be wary of. It's certain to be careful of. But without wanting to labor on this, if you look uh, in the Gospels, Jesus talks a lot about money. And he speaks in direct contravention of this prosperity gospel. So this verse that tells us God will supply all we need from his glorious riches, he will. But I promise you now, it's not bucketfuls of money. But it is bucketfuls of grace. It's bucketfuls of love. It's bucketfuls of mercy. It's bucketfuls of hope and eternal life. It is 
joy that gets given to us that cannot ever be taken away. That is what God promises us. Will money help us get through situations? Yes, it will. But I'll swap it all for the glory of God. I'll swap it all for the love of God and for the grace of God. God promises us to be with us with it all. And just to highlight that it's not money. It's not all money the way God blesses us. I'm going to ask Rachel to come and talk to us about um, a story that she shared with me when we broke down on the way back from conference. We had the time. See, God's in everything. Any other time to talk to us. So can you tell us about that time you'd just given up an awful lot? you sacrificed an awful lot for God. But tell us what, what happened. Yeah, I was talking to Paul, really, because we saw lots of friends um, at the conference, and it was lovely to be reunited with lovely friends. And I said, I really miss, we had really deep friendships um, in our church up in Southport, where we moved from. And when we moved down here, we did really feel it was God, because never in a million years would we have moved to Plymouth. Even though my parents were here, um, it, it just wasn't on our radar um, we had a, a, a perfect life. No, no, per, no one has a perfect life, but we had a lovely life. We had a lovely home. The children had great schools. They had lovely friends. Everything was going well. And to rock the boat was a really big sacrifice. And I remember breaking the news to our children. We, we sort of said to them, it was on the cards. I, I said, Seth, we've made a decision. I, I remember going into my son's bedroom and he went, we're staying here, aren't we, Mum? And I said, no, we're going. And it, it was so hard because he didn't want to go. His best friend lived next door. Oh, it makes me cry. Um, this is not like me, sorry. <laughs> and, um, but we went, and we knew that God had spoken. And, um, and um, we came down here, and Darcy, our middle daughter, first day at school, she's a sociable one. She met, she said, I've got a Christian friend and her, their parents want to meet you. It was Anita and Andy and Lois. So Lois became one of Darcy's closest friends right from the word go. She was always very sociable, but the other two children struggled to settle more. And even though we were enjoying being here and working hard to, to get settled in, um, the one that struggled the most initially was our son, Seth. I've asked his permission if I could loosely share the story. But he was miserable, if I'm honest. Um, he'd moved at a difficult time, so he was 13. And he was well established with friendships and schools. And he, um, he, he came down here and he got on with it. But it was, you could tell he just wasn't happy. And um, yeah, he was really, really miserable in those first few months. And I remember sharing with Chris Bennett on a Thursday evening when I was at music practice. I said, oh, I don't know if I can keep witnessing this as a mother. It's awful, isn't it? When, when you're unhappy, you can kind of deal with it if it's your issue. But I'd felt like I'd brought them into a situation where they were struggling emotionally and that hurt my heart as a mum so I, I said I explained it to Chris and she said oh um, it'd be great if he could just get a hobby or something like that is there anything he likes I said oh he's always wanted to try climbing she's laughing at me he's always wanted to try climbing I said oh and anyway she just prayed with me and I was so grateful that she just understood she came alongside me and she prayed and seriously the it was either the next weekend or the weekend after that um, some young people, Chris Teague, Rosie, Johnny, there was a few of the older, I suppose young adults really, 
And they invited him to go climbing. They said, we're all keen on climbing. It was a direct answer to prayer. And from that moment on, he was like a different person. He was like, oh, I'm going climbing. I'm going climbing. And anyone that knows my son knows that passion, uh, uh, climbing is his life's passion, really. And he's very, very good at it. And he's even doing a master's in sports psychology now. And he has settled. He has flourished. And all of the children have settled and flourished. And I'm so grateful to God um, that he met that emotional need in me and also in my children. He meets our needs. And sometimes he uses other people. He often uses other people and this is the beauty of one another in the church so uh yeah I'm very very grateful to God and his grace that was poured out it wasn't finances I needed at that moment it was God just meeting that need for our children and they're doing great and yeah we're so thankful to God so thank you Rachel that's wonderful so as Rachel said in the tough times trust God he always comes through and it doesn't always involve money. I just want to remind us of, uh, of Psalm 23. Has anyone heard it? The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. For even though I walk through the darkest valley or the valley of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. These are the glorious riches that Paul is talking about. These are the glorious riches. When you are facing the, the valley of the shadow of death, when you are facing circumstances you don't want to be in, God says, I will be there with you. I will comfort you. I won't fly in and pluck you out. Because as you've heard this morning, sometimes the circumstances you're in are to do something to you. They're to refine you. They're to change you. They're to make you more like God. And as tough as that sounds, sometimes we need to be grateful for them. Because otherwise, God leaves us the same. But I tell you now, God loves you enough not to leave you the same. And that's sometimes why you're in the circumstances you're in. Not from anything you've done, but for what God wants to do for you. And the glory that he wants to take you in. So God is always with us. So I just want to move on to, because I'm nearly finished. Wow, time has gone on. Gospel greetings. Why then does Paul finish with this, these elaborate greetings? They seem to be more elaborate than, uh, than most. I'll tell you why. Paul wants to encourage the Philippians. The people that you know, he says, the people that you know, the people you've already heard of, uh, are, um, that are with me, send you greetings. He then goes on to say, all God's people here send greetings. Then he says, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. So why did he say that? If he's just said, everybody here sends you greetings. Why does he single out the people in Caesar's household? Why does he do that? But what he's saying is even members of Caesar's household, the guy that's got me locked up, the guy that's got me in this house, the people that were around him, with him, for him, even they have given their lives to Christ. Such is the power of the gospel. Such is the power of the gospel to which you have aligned yourself with. Such is the power of the gospel that you have given up money you didn't have to support it. That is the power of the gospel. And he is encouraging them that the gospel that we spread, that we are persecuted for, cannot be contained. It cannot be stopped, and it has power beyond our wildest imagination. So he's encouraging them. See, Paul's joy came from Jesus being preached. It came from the power of the cross being preached. It came from the gospel reaching far and wide. This is where Paul's 
joy came from. Paul had learned not just to find joy in the changing nature of his own circumstances, but in the growth of the kingdom of God. Paul had an eternal perspective. What I'm going through now is for the glory of God. Whatever I'm going through, whatever I am suffering for, I am sharing with the sufferings of Christ for the glory of God, because I know that God will bring me through it. So just to encourage you this morning, whatever you are going through, God is with you. If you don't know God this morning and you're struggling, ask him and he will be with you. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that. But as I close this morning, you know, you might be experiencing tough circumstances. You might be in a great situation, but God is not finished with you yet. While I was away in America, they were singing this song and it really tickled me, but it's so good. It says, if you're not dead, God is not finished with you yet. So if you're here this morning and you're breathing, and I hope you all are still, God is not finished with you yet. And that might mean there's a tough circumstance to come. That might mean something even tougher is coming. But you know what? He's going to use it to bless you. He's going to use it to change you because he loves you. He's not finished with you and he's not forgotten you. You might be in a great situation right now and and God is challenging you to be more generous. Perhaps you've got lots of time on your hands. Perhaps you've got a bit of spare money. Perhaps you've got resources. I know that there's people, and I won't say who, but this week or recently they've taken on a Ukrainian family into their home. They've opened up their home so they can come and live with them. And then just on Friday, I saw them out doing the soup run as well. They're giving everything that they have. Where can we be generous? Where can we support other people? Where can we partner with God in the gospel? It might be that you feel trapped this morning, like Paul was trapped in this house as he wrote this letter. Perhaps you need to remind yourself of the goodness of God. Let praise be a problem for your problem. Let praise be a problem for your problem. Praise God. When you're in the dark, when you're in your darkest moments, praise God. It doesn't change the circumstances. It changes how you see them and it reminds you who God is. Paul did that and his chains fell off. Think about how free you could be if you praise God in every problem. Maybe you're heartbroken this morning over a son or a daughter or someone else that you're close to that doesn't know the Lord or has fallen away. Take comfort this morning in the power of the gospel. Even Caesar's household were saved. Spurgeon said the gospel is like a lion. You just need to let it out of the cage and let it roar. (laughs) So let the gospel run rampant. Rejoice in the Lord for all he has done, for all he is doing and all he will do. I'm going to pray. Andy and the the team, could you come and join us? We're going to sing Psalm 23. And I want you to really think about what you're facing right now. Let's stand together. I want you to think about what you're facing right now. What life looks like for you right now. How hard it might be, how good it might be. And I want you to think about the goodness of God. I want you to think about how good he has been. How good he is being and how good he will be. Lord, I pray as we sing in response, Lord, that we will remember that you are always with us, Lord, that our our circumstances might change, but you never do. Our state of happiness might change, but your joy never changes, that your joy is our strength. Lord, I pray that we would focus on you. We would turn our eyes on you, no matter what our circumstances. I thank you for the words we've had this morning. We know that you are speaking to us. And if you are here this morning and you are struggling, You're really struggling. You're in the toughest of times. We're going to pray for you now. That you will know the presence of God. 
that you will know God in your life. You will know God in your circumstances and that you will see them differently. And I just want to very quickly give someone the opportunity. If you do not know Jesus this morning and you are having a really tough time getting through life, he can help. And he wants to pour out his glorious riches upon you. He wants to shower you with grace and love and mercy and joy and hope. So just if that's you, just say this prayer with me. Lord God, I thank you for this message. Lord, I, I'm sorry for the things I've done in my life that weren't quite right. I'm sorry for falling short. Lord, I thank you for dying on the cross for me. I thank you that you want to forgive me. I thank you that there are so many wonderful gifts that you want to pour out on me. Lord, please come into my heart. Please be my hope. Please show me grace and mercy. I want to follow you all the days of my life. Amen.